You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement, or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. If you've got questions, we've got answers. It is another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show here to help people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. Welcome aboard for the next 35 minutes. We've got your questions on deck, and my name is Scott Inman, John Shrewsbury, uh, riding shotgun today as we dive into what is now, as we record this on December 13th, 2023, one of the final shows of the year yeah we're getting close yeah it's hard 2024 to is on the way yep so we've got uh, a great fastest four minutes in finance segment that talks about end of the year required minimum distributions and man there's a lot in that because yeah. the irs makes it as complicated as possible i want to encourage you to get that uh, delivered to your email inbox every friday morning you can set that up by texting the word fast to 501-381-5228. Again, that number is 501-381-5228. Just text the word FAST, and we'll get the email address on file. It won't blow up your email inbox with a bunch of other stuff, but you'll get the fastest four minutes in finance in video format delivered to your email inbox every Friday, and we do our best to keep it under four. I think I do that every week. I don't actually time that, by the way but we do uh, stay under four minutes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Three to four minutes, just what's happening in the markets, what's happening around retirement, all sorts of topics. But I think RMD's uh, on everybody's mind here because we're getting to the end of the year and a lot of tax planning, those types of things included there. But what's on your mind? That's what the Get Ready for the Future show is set up to take on. And we have four questions today uh, to, to discuss, and we're going to start, dive right in with Ricky from Bentonville. Here's Ricky's question. My new employer offers an ESPP. I can buy the company stock with a 5% discount. Should I look to max out the $25,000 annual contribution? What's the best way to stay diversified? Ricky, thanks for your question. ESPP, or uh, said another way, ESOP, ESOP program. These, these, are, these are very valuable to employees that uh, work for corporate, for, for publicly traded companies, because that stock is traded for anybody to go out and get, John, but for an employee, they sometimes get to, as Ricky's question infers, get to purchase those shares at a discounted price. First of all, before we get into the question, have you ever seen, I think that, that we'd have to have like a whole case of Campbell's Soup to do all of the alphabet <laughs> soup things, all the acronyms uh, all, yeah. uh, that are on here for uh, some kind of retirement plan. There's an SEP and an ESOP, or an ESPP. I can absolutely uh, imagine that that's just baffling to people when they hear that. But this is very easy. This is an employee stock ownership plan. And essentially, it allows the employee of a company to buy shares of the company that they're working for, which is not a bad thing. We think that's actually a really cool thing. It aligns uh, the interest of the business with the interest of the employee. It allows the employee to participate in the profits of that business. And so it's actually a very, very good thing. I think it's uh, kind of almost uniquely American that this is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in the American economy anyway, uh, these types of plans are, are very common. So 
uh, we really like buying shares at a discount. So 5% discount off of the, whatever the price of these shares are. Now, uh, Ricky did not say whether this is a publicly or privately held company. So if it's a publicly held company, you can look every day and know what the price is, take 5% off of it. That's what your purchase price is. I think one of Ricky's key phrases, Scott, is to stay diversified. And and how do you stay diversified? And, you know, it would be one thing to think, oh, I'm going to go all in on the company stock because I think I work for a great company and I know how they work. I know what their plans are and all of that type of thing. And that's that is how a lot of people think about that. But we would caution about getting overloaded in your company stock. I think that there are some good attributes to owning company stock, but you don't want that to be the entirety of your retirement plan. Yeah, and I think this goes for Ricky and everybody else listening that has some company stock, you know, whether it's an ESOP program or uh, the company match is contributed or delivered in company stock. That's oftentimes we've seen a lot of people with employer plans that have that. Yes. So they're going to wind up with a large amount, potentially, uh, of company stock. And I think when you think about that, there needs to be some rules around that. I mean, I, I, you're, you, you've got the focus here on the discount, or at least part of his focus is on the discount on the stock price. And that's great. I mean, this is like the Costco or Sam's of trading, right? You get to get that discount. You know you've already uh, gotten a deal. And if the stock goes up, you've gotten a better return. But you want to limit how much of your overall portfolio goes to that. So I think my concern is that stands out in that question from Ricky, should I max out the $25,000 annual contribution? I think the question I would ask Ricky is, where are you contributing or what are you contributing to outside of that? Because we certainly wouldn't want to say all of your retirement contributions to be made into this ESOP program because you're going to wind up with a high concentration of company stock. Yeah, and I and I would say also that that you need to kind of separate your 401k from this ESOP program, and they are probably separate entities. But make your retirement contributions into your 401k first because yep. that's the thing that you got to rely on as far as your retirement is concerned. It's very portable and all of that. You don't know what kind of strings are necessarily attached to this ESOP program, and so if you left the company, you might have a little bit of a wait time and getting uh, your money. There may be some vesting in that, whatever the case may be. But uh, we like the idea of, of buying company stock. Uh, you've got to think about this, that that the reason that we say what we say about retirement as it relates to company stock is that all of your current income, uh, the security of your current income is based on the, the viability of the company that you work for. And if you have all your retirement dollars in the same company stock that you work yeah. for, then all of your future uh, retirement income is is being held in that one spot. So use the 401k for your retirement diversification and go light on the company stock. But uh, obviously, that's above and beyond what you need to contribute in your 401k plan. And by the way, Ricky, do the math on what you need to be putting into the 401k to reach your goal of financial independence. Then above and beyond that, go to your company stock. We use the analogy of an elevator to describe this concept of concentration into a single stock. Because if you think about it, you get it into an elevator, uh, and if it's held up with one cable, i.e. one individual stock, if that cable breaks, the elevator's going to the ground, right? Right. But if you have multiple cables, which is a more diversified strategy, or even inside of a single mutual fund or ETF, you're going to have multiple stocks, multiple cables holding up that elevator. Then if one or two or three break, 
you're going to potentially make it to the ground a lot safer than if you're being held up by that single elevator. So generally speaking, and I would highlight that this is a general rule of thumb because what you want to do, Ricky, is to make a, an overall holistic plan to determine your investment strategy, your retirement goals, your income goals when you someday stop working. Uh, but generally speaking, you don't want to exceed 10% of your overall portfolio in a single company stock. And I think the pushback we might get on that, John, sometimes is that, well, I know my company and I know that they're going to do well. Uh, that's an analysis based in current time frame, And that may be very, very true. I'm not going to discount people's knowledge of their own company, but the reality is 20 years from now, 15 years from now, what is that company going to look like? Hey, look, there are people that work for uh, Enron, WorldCom, right. Uh, a lot. I mean, corporate America is littered with companies that that were doing great, yep. and then they weren't. Mm -hmm. And so, small business, medium-sized businesses, private companies can do that as well. So, we just want to err on the side of caution and be sure that you are well diversified. You want to not have all your eggs in one basket, and certainly take care of your retirement first through your contributions to your 401k plan, and then take a look at your company stock. I talk about it in terms of risk. You, you're going to have to take on a certain level of risk to achieve your long-term goals, but you don't want to take on more risk than is needed to achieve those goals. That's exactly right. Ricky, thanks for the question. We're going to name yours the question of the week. Thanks for reaching out with it, and we'd love to send you a Get Ready for the Future Show Tumblr for being the question of the week, we just need you to email us, show at getreadyforthefuture.com to claim it. Moving on to our next question, it's James from Little Rock. I'm an Army officer planning to retire in four years. My wife and I currently max out my Roth 401k, her Roth IRA, and mine. That altogether puts us at a savings rate of 31%. Do we need to change anything? Well, I'm going to pat you on the back, first of all. Congratulations on not only saving 31% of your income, but getting it into these very tax-efficient vehicles. If you're maxing out a Roth 401k and two Roth IRAs, you are setting yourself up for a huge stream of tax-free income in retirement, and we always like that. In terms of changing anything, we would need to evaluate a few things. First thing, John, that stands out to me, Army officer planning to retire in four years is that because that's when he reaches his 20 and is eligible for the military pension? Or has he already exceeded that and that's just now when he's going to get out? But we need to know some details about what does the military pension look like here? Yeah, the military pension, there's actually two military pensions, uh, uh, two different versions. One is a legacy or a high 36, which is, is based on your highest 36 months of basic pay. And then there is the blended retirement system called the BRS. Now, this is based on uh, uh, 36 months of basic pay, and there is a match to the contribution to the TSP fund. And TSP is Thrift Savings Program. Just think of that as the government's version of a 401k for government employees and military employees. So uh, anything need to change? Well, it kind of depends. Uh, we don't know how old James is. He may be re-entering the civilian workforce. He may be just calling it quits and retiring. I would say that that the TSP, if there is, uh, if he is contributing to the Roth option, uh, then that is a great opportunity for him to draw his pension at at the end of his twenty, and supplement that with a bridge to his fifty nine and a half when he would actually be able to access pre tax money. 
So there is a lot of complexity with this. But I think that the question about whether he is going to reenter the civilian workforce, draw his pension and maybe take a a job that's lesser paying than what he had in the military to kind of round that out and then defer all of his uh, accumulated funds, all of his savings and what have you, then that's it's going to put him in a really, really good uh, spot. And even if he is entering the uh, civilian workforce, Scott, he would probably have the opportunity to contribute at least to an IRA, but to an employer plan in that situation as well. Yeah, we'd need to know how old you and your wife are and what your retirement plans are. What age are you going to totally step away from work? I mean, I think based on our experience of looking at uh, military members, typically they are going to reenter the workforce at the end of their 20, particularly because, A, they, they obviously have a lot of life left in, in statistical thought. And military pensions don't, John, typically tend to be as robust as potential other pensions. Part of that's because they don't typically receive as much income yeah they're, uh, they're not uh, paid as well as as civilian employees may be doing a, a similar level of job right and of course now he's an officer so that may help on that but we we need to what we would want to do is look at that guaranteed income source does your wife also have a potential pension what are the social security uh, numbers look like of course they could be coming into play much later if you're uh, only putting in 20 years and you're about 50 years old and entering uh, retirement but the other part of that is it's I, I love the fact that they are saving at a rate of 31% of their income, but we don't know how long they've been doing that. So we don't know what those account balances are because that's what matters here is lining all of those things up. I think people grasp on, John, to certain aspects of things they hear in terms of, man, we need to save. We, you know, that, that's what he gave us, 31% of our income, or we need to save as much as we can. And that's great. I'm not discounting that at all but to what end and for how long and when you do reach the level that you're beginning to withdraw some of those funds how much are you going to withdraw and for how long scott uh, james's question is one of those flashing electronic billboards that is that should be advertising this is the reason why you want to plan mm -hmm. this is why you want to have a financial advisor sit down with you work through the complexities of this. I can think of about 10 questions that I would yeah. ask James if he were sitting here today and asking us this question. I would reverse that and ask him about eight or 10 questions that we would need to know to give him a thorough response to this question. But the I think the key here is that you're exactly right. People will get focused on an aspect of their situation, one aspect of it, and think, if I can just get this answer, then I'm going to have the entire answer. And that's never really the case. There is a reason why you should have a written financial plan and why you should have a trusted advisor working beside you to accomplish that plan, not just to lay it out for you and say, happy trails, good luck to you, but someone who will walk through that plan with you on a year-to-year -year basis, helping you to stay on track for your ultimate goal of retirement. Like you said, Scott, we don't know a 31% savings rate sounds wonderful, but do you have some debt that you want to take care of? Yeah. Maybe you would be able to defer some of that savings to come over here and take care of debt, which would actually make you more healthy within a few years down the road. We know you may have questions. We encourage you to get them to us here on the Get Ready for the Future show, and we've got several avenues for you to be able to do that. You can write down this number, 501-381-5228. Give it to you one more time if you're listening, 
501-381-5228. Now you can call that number and leave a voicemail and we'll maybe even use the voicemail as we have done in the past uh, on the air. Or you can just text it. It's simple to do that as well. Text it uh, in written form. You can also email us. Just send it to show at getreadyforthefuture.com and we can type it up ourselves and get it on there for you. We know that a lot of these questions are spurring other questions in your mind, so don't hesitate and get them to us. What do you want to know about retirement, about investing, about money that we can help you out with on your path to true financial independence? We have two more questions on today's program, and the next one is from Nancy, and it was sent in via text. In my 30s, no debt, net worth nearing six figures. Are CDs a better option than brokerage mutual funds for the next six to 12 months? The intent would be to move to mutuals after CD expires. Nancy, thanks for uh, the question. The first thing I would hone in on here, there's two parts to this question. Are CDs a better option than brokerage mutual funds for the next six to 12 months? Maybe. (laughs) It's possible, (laughs) right? I mean, that's a crystal ball question. We know what CD rates are. Uh, depending on the term, although, you know, really there's not a whole lot of difference right now between a three-month CD interest rate and a five-year CD interest rate. But you're looking around the ballpark of 5%, right, that you could get guaranteed on your money with no risk to principal. Is that going to outperform the market over the next 6, 12 months? Just reading today, uh, a couple of projections, some prognostications, if you will, from the so-called economic experts. J.P. Morgan saying that, John, the S&P 500 is – going to go down by eight percent in 2024 and then i read the next one and it said they're expecting returns between 13 and 17 percent so some people are saying bull market some people are saying we're going to have another drawback so who knows if cds are going to outperform over the next six to 12 months but that's not really the point yeah that's she's asking really kind of the wrong question right first of all let's back up nancy is 30 no debt net worth nearing six figures what are you trying to accomplish, Nancy? I think that's the first question that we want to, to ask. If this money that you're wanting to invest or put in a CD is for your long-term financial future when you are going to be in your 50s, 60s, 70s, something like that, then I will tell you very bluntly, you don't have any business in a CD. You need to be invested in the market because it is not trying to time the market that is going to make you financially independent. It is time in the market. And that's something that you really need to take away from this question that you floated to us. It is not about trying to time the market. Is now the right time? None of that really matters. It really doesn't. I am speaking from experience of doing this for, for nearly 30 years of helping people to, to find and, and protect and, and share financial independence over that period of time. Market-based investments are long-term investments, but they give you the greatest possibility of reaching financial independence. What I'm saying here, Scott, is that one of the reasons that CD rates are 5% is inflation is about 5%. Right. And and so you're never going to get ahead of inflation by doing that. And you have to kind of jump off the cliff at some point in time. And like you said, there are people out there that think the market is going to do double-digit positive return next year. There are people that think it's going to go down by 8% next year. There were people that thought the market this year was going to be totally negative, and we've had a great Mm -hmm. year in the stock market in 2023. Right. 
And so there is a lot here that that you have to step back from the current events and say, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? I think my answer there is is just like yours. You know, when she says the intent would be to move to mutuals after the CD expires, that's what she, I think, is insinuating is that right now doesn't feel like a good time to get in the market. But in six to 12 months, she might be ready to move. But there's always and we say this time and time again on this show, there's always a reason not to invest. There is always going to be uncertainty in the market. There's always going to be a risk of recession that they've been calling for now for two years and it still hasn't happened. You will miss out if you stay on the sidelines. So when is a good time to invest? Whenever you have the money to do it. And and that's what I would say to Nancy. And we we've got we've backed this up with data many times on this show, but it's always worth reiterating. Uh, we've got a graphic here that talks about you know, missing out because you are either, well, for whatever reason, if you're too fearful to get in, you think things are uh, not going to be good in the short term. I think the left side, if you're watching on our video version of the Get Ready for the Future show, really is uh, extremely interesting to me and, and, and actually even surprised me when, when we looked at this the first time. We've used this once before, I know. And you see the title there, Good Days Happen in Bad Markets. This is the S&P 500 index, which again is an index, it's the 500 biggest companies roughly in the United States and is not uh, available to be directly invested into. So we want to offer that disclaimer first. But it's the best days of that index from 1993 to through 2022. So pretty recent here. And you see the 50 best days, the breakdown of the 50 best days over that uh, what is a 30 year period of trading. So a lot of trading days, we're picking out the 50 best days 52% of them took place in a bear market. In other words, in a downtime and when people were very uncertain and didn't think the market was going to perform and didn't think that the economy was very good. The uh, other 26% took place in the first two months of a bull market. Now, when are you going to be able to identify when the first two months of the bull market are. The only way you know when you're in a bull market is to look at the rearview mirror and go, yep, we're there and I missed it. That's and, right. and so essentially you're talking about over 75% of the time uh, you have your 50 best days either in a bear market or coming out of a bear market at the beginning of a bull market. Now, why is all that relevant? That is relevant because if you miss some mm -hmm. of the best days, then you're really going to hurt your return. So let's look at the right side of the graphic and let's walk through this. If you had invested and and had your fully invested dollar amount there, a growth of $10,000, if you stayed fully invested all those days from 1993 through 2022, you would have gained $158,000. That is staying invested in good markets, bad markets, terrible markets, 2008, the, the whole thing, it, you, you have that return of $158,000. If you miss just the 10 best days by going, well, I think I'm going to wait. I, I didn't feel like it's the time to do this. Then you cut your return by 54% down to $72,584. You miss the 20 best days, you're down to $42,000. You miss just one month of a, of a good uh, market up between 1993 and 2022. You miss 30 days and you're down to only $26,000 on a $10,000 investment. Scott, the, the evidence is absolutely clear that markets perform 
if they're best invested in and left alone yeah. for a long period of time. You know, I had a client, uh, had a discussion with this and using this chart once, and he uh, he told me back, he said, but I guess the reverse would be true if you missed the worst days of the market. And yes. I said, that's absolutely true, but can you tell me when those when are going to be? Yeah. Right. That's the point of this. It's kind of like the, the issue that we have with this whole sequence of return risk in yeah. retirement. You know, mm-hmm. when, when you're walking up to retirement, you don't know, let's say you're going to retire January 1, 2024. You don't have any idea whether January 1, 2024 is going to lead you into a bear market year, a bull market year, or whatever. And it makes a huge difference in your actual uh, performance of your retirement plan when that is, but you have no way of knowing. And instinct is not something that would tell somebody, oh yes, uh, this is the year for you to not be in the market or to be in the market, because I can tell you, nobody would have retired in 2023 if that was the case, because everybody at the first of 2023 thought the stock market was going down and we were going into a recession. Everybody except us and a few other folks in the financial industry that were looking at the actual data and going, you know what, I don't see a recession. And that has actually played out. To finish up on Nancy's question, so when would CDs be good for your dollars? They can be a great option for short-term money. If you've got a down payment on a house that you're planning to save up for, and it's going to happen in the next 6 to 12 months, if you're saving for a down payment on a new vehicle, or if you've got some other expenses, some lump sum things that you have a goal for that you're saving for the next 6 to 12 months, maybe even a couple of years, it would be great to not risk that principle and get that 5% while you can. But for money positioned for long-term retirement goals, that is not the best place for it. Now, in retirement, and this will kind of lead us into the next question, but we'll go ahead and kind of set the table here. In retirement, you need a division between your short-term dollars and your long-term dollars. You can't bail on the long-term growth because you've got to be able to outpace inflation over the course of your retirement and give yourself raises from the income side. But you also can't uh, skip out on the short-term low-risk to no-risk investment that's going to make sure that you don't lose your principal as you're taking money out. So even in retirement, uh, I think that rule applies, but but that goes back to the need for a plan to know what dollars are you going to use, how many dollars are you going to use in the short term, and how many do you need position for the long term. So let's go right into our final question here on the show. Bill from Bryant asks, My wife and I are 60 and are thinking about retirement in about two to three years. We have accumulated just under $900,000 in our 401k plans currently, have household expenses of about $6,000 per month. Will I be okay during my retirement years? Bill, thanks. Great uh, that you've uh, got a nice nest egg there, I would say for sure. And in two to three years is a great time to be thinking about and, and really beginning to plan, John. But there are some things that we'll give him to think about right here on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first question that I would ask Bill is, is the $6,000 in living expenses you have now, are those expenses going to be the same in retirement? Will they be lower? Will they maybe even be higher? That's a good question to ask. Secondly, out of that $6,000 that you've told us are your living expenses, are is there any variation between basic living expenses and your overall expenditure of money. And here's what I mean by that. There are some basic living expenses that are going to be there every month. Food, clothing, transportation, shelter, taxes, insurance. All those things are going to be there come what may. 
you might not go on vacation every month. You might not spend uh, extra money on the grandkids every month. You might not have this particular need every month that rolls. So we bifurcate those. We separate those as far as required income is concerned to desired income is concerned. And so uh, you have to, to, first of all, get a handle on that. Thirdly, how are you invested as you approach retirement? And do you have your guaranteed income solidified? I talked about that required income uh, segment of those expenses. You need to meet that required demand for money with guaranteed income coming in. What is guaranteed income? Social Security is a guaranteed income stream. A pension is a guaranteed income stream. Income from an annuity product is a guaranteed income stream guaranteed by the claims paying ability of a life insurance company. And so the way that we look at this is if you've got X number of expenses that you know you're going to have every month, you want to meet those expenses, take care of those expenses with income from guaranteed income sources. Now, above and beyond that, your spending is discretionary. You may or may not need to spend that money. And so you don't necessarily have to guarantee that income, but that's where you want to be sure that you're very diversified and that you have an ability to avoid what I mentioned a little bit earlier, and that sequence of return risk, Scott. Yeah. And when you think about how the investments play into that, that's really the advice we'd give Bill here is to sit down with an advisor now and build a plan that incorporates all of this. John's already kind of talked about the layering of your income, making sure your required income needs are met with guaranteed income sources, and then your discretionary needs and raises for cost of living adjustments are coming from the investments. But the investment strategy is likely to need some tweaking as you get two to three years away from retirement. Something called the retirement red zone that we talk about on this show a lot. Really from 10 years away from retirement on in, the, the picture is a little bit different. We've used the analogy on multiple occasions of a football team. The offensive coordinator will tell you that calling plays between the 20s is a little easier than calling plays inside that red zone, right? The field is shorter. You don't have as much margin for error. You can't use your whole playbook. The same is true when you get in the retirement red zone. Things need to look a little bit different, but you can't go full stop either. Retirement is not a stop sign, John. It is a yield sign. It is. And I think another aspect of this that you really want to think about and and deal with is the timing of your Social Security when you take it because that affects that guaranteed income segment. And you want to think about, okay, do I need that social security to be deferred? So I've got a bigger payment from social security in the future. Do I need to take it now to support maybe not as much savings as we have, you know, in our 401k plans and things of that nature. All of those things are really critical to look at. And there is no pat answer to that. There is no right or wrong of taking it at 62 or 67 or 70. It really depends on a lot of other factors in your overall financial situation. Scott, another thing that I think is very important for us to touch on is you've got to be able to increase your income over time. You have to have inflation adjusted income. Don't go conservative just because of it feeling like the right thing to do. I, you know, I'm in retirement and I need to be very conservative. What is absolutely going to happen is prices are going to continue to go up. They may go up at a slower pace than they have in the last year or two. They may go up at a faster pace. We don't really know, but you know that you're going to need more income 
five or 10 years down the road than you have right now, and likewise, 20 years down the road. So you have to have a factor in your retirement income plan that allows you to adjust your income periodically to try to keep pace with the cost of living. I think John Bill's question is so common to the questions that we get in a client meeting room when it comes to planning for retirement. It does start very much like Bill's question. I've got this, I got this over here, I've got this going on. Am I going to be okay? Well, we've got to bring all of that under one umbrella into one plan to determine that answer. And the GenWealth Ready to Retire process helps you get that answer. It may be that $900,000 for Bill and his wife, that's more than he needs, and he's going to have some left over. It may be that he's not he doesn't have enough, and he may need to ramp up savings in these last two to three years of pre-retirement. But you don't know the answers until, John, you go through the planning process. Bill also needs to not forget about health care costs before and after age 65, and also to consider maybe a phased retirement, a phased transition into retirement, what we call work retirement here at GenWealth, where you step slowly into retirement. There is financial and psychological benefits based on you going to work maybe part-time at something that you really enjoy, having some income and not having all of the money that you're taking early in retirement coming from your retirement resources. You could literally ease into retirement and do yourself a big favor from a financial standpoint. That is the final bell you hear on the Get Ready for the Future show. It's time to wrap this up. Our thanks to Bill and to Nancy, Ricky and James for their questions. John, what is your final thought from today? Man, in looking at all of this, Scott, I I want to go back to something that I, I really talked about just a couple of minutes ago, and that is that we get these questions, and these are very specific questions to very specific issues in your financial plan. But if you are missing out on the bigger picture, if you're missing out on having that 360 degree perspective on your retirement, then you're probably going to sell yourself short in retirement. Because a lot of people tend to think about, okay, I'm going to focus on this and everything else will be okay. I'm going to focus on this part and everything else will be okay. What you always want to do is to have that huge perspective on things, everything from estate planning all the way to Medicare, Social Security, investments, uh, retirement incomes, uh, all of those things come together in a financial plan. And I think that's the key to financial independence is having that written plan on paper on purpose. And I'm going to piggyback off of your final thought for mine. I think that if you are like Bill, I think about Bill's question. It's so common to everyone that comes into our office looking for a retirement plan. If you're two to three years out, if you're five to 10 years out and you're wondering, do I have enough? It is time to plan. Go through the GenWealth Ready to Retire process. Let one of our advisors step with you walking step-by-step through that holistic plan. It is free to take that first step and to book the first appointment. And all you have to do is reach out and call toll-free 866-653-PLAN, 866-653-7526. We have offices all over the state of Arkansas, El Dorado, Hot Springs, Little Rock, Conway, Bryant, and also in Northwest Louisiana. Reach out to an advisor and begin the process. That is all the time we have for today's Get Ready for the Future show. If you got a question, call or text it to us at 501-381-5228 to hear your questions answered on the next show. We'll see you then. 
Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building towards financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The Gen Wealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.